You say when. We good? Okay. Like I said, we're basing this on uh, Jesus' great commission uh, to go into all the world, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And a lot of times we skip over that. I have commanded you. And we just, we, we think about the go, the make disciples, the baptizing, and the teaching uh, but we forget what it is exactly that we're supposed to be teaching or in the case of us, what we are to be learning. And uh, so we want to really focus on these commands. And I have given them all one word commands. Um, they are simple commands. Uh, some of them you uh, may be familiar with. Some you may have not thought of. Um, but tonight, our very first command is the command to come. And uh, we're going to unpack that one word into what it means that when Jesus said, come, and what then are we to teach others in regards to that word? So let's uh, start with a word of prayer and then dive into uh, this lesson. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for truth, that you are a God of truth, that you are a God of relationship, and that you desire a relationship with us. And so you've called every one of us to come to you. Father, tonight, would you help us to see fresh and new, give us new eyes for those that have heard this before, uh, that this is not new scripture. Father, give us uh, minds to understand, uh, Lord, that, that we can fully grasp this command so that we can uh, go out and be obedient to it and live it and, and share it, teach others uh, this command. And So, Father, we just give you these next several moments uh, to do your will uh, within our midst. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The command to come, and I've put an exclamation point behind each of these commands because I think it is emphatic uh, that we are to come. I mean, it's not just a, hey, come here if you want, come here if you'd like, hey, I got an idea. It's come, you know, hurry over here, look, see what's happening. Uh, that is what Jesus is saying. And so this command to come is not just an idle passing by, hey, come over whenever. Uh, it, it is a, it, it's actually an invitation uh, and, and carries with it a certain urgency. Uh, and so I think the only way in the English language, printed language, was put an exclamation point behind it. Um, and so it is come now. It is don't delay. And <clears throat> this invitation is actually kind of a, a three-part invitation that I want to look at. It's because there's three different times that he specifically says, come. Uh, there may be a few more, but, but ones that it, this is the beginning of the, of the sentence, the beginning of what Jesus is talking. And in, Matthew, or in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this, this word come is actually a, an invitation to relationship. That's the first blank to fill in. It's an invitation to relationship that he's inviting us to come where he is and be with him. Uh, not come and watch, not come and be an observer, but come and, and I want to form a relationship with you. I want to get to know you. I want you to get to know me. Uh, every person was created to have relationship. It's just in who we are as human beings. God created us for relationships. Now, some were more blessed and need more relationships than others. Uh, there are some who can get by, two or three people, you know, the, but we need other people. Um, we need that relationship. We need that, 
that community is what Denny's been talking about the last few weeks, that to be intentional in relationships, that we were created for relationship. Uh, we are a communal people by design. We need people around us. Uh, maybe sometimes you don't feel like you need people around you. Maybe sometimes you would like people to just leave and that's fine. There are times when we need to be alone, but even then we are what? In community with God. We're never totally alone. Um, and so Jesus is, is personally inviting us here to join in with, his, with him in relationship. And the neat thing about this is that we have to understand that, that being invited to come into relationship with Jesus is also an invitation to come into relationship with who else? Father and the Holy Spirit. The entire Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, come, have a relationship with us. We already have a relationship. Understand that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as the Trinity, that, that one or uh, three distinct people in one divine essence. So there's three very distinct people. Don't try to wrap your mind around it. You'll just explode and get nothing else out of it tonight. We just, that's one of those things where we just say, yeah, I don't understand how it happens, but the Trinity is real. Jesus talks about it. God the Father talked about it. The Holy Spirit talks about it. it. It is real. I don't understand exactly how it works, but it is three distinct people, personalities, persons, in communion with one another to where they are actually one. And we are invited in to that oneness. That's the whole command to come. That, that's the whole invitation is to, to come and join that unity, join that communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty big invitation. That's why it, we can't just take it lightly as someone's having a party and, hey, come on over if you don't have anything better to do. This is the invitation of the creator of the universe to every human being to come and join in their party, if you will in their community of three. Jesus says, come and join us. Jesus is inviting us to come and start a personal relationship with him. And we find out that here in John that no one can enter into that relationship except through Jesus. He's the only way in. We can't get there any other way. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, if you want a relationship with God, if you want a relationship with the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, I'm the doorway in, and I'm inviting you to come through the door. I'm inviting you to come to me. Uh, imagine God, creator of the universe, looking down on us, looking down on humanity, looking down on the United States, North America, the United States, looking down on Pennsylvania, looking down on Western Pennsylvania, looking down in Butler County, looking down in Butler, the city of Butler, looking down at Community Alliance Church, looking down right now at you and saying, come. I want a relationship with you as much as anyone else, but it's a personal invitation to you to come. We don't decide to enter into that relationship without the invitation. No one just decides to come to Christ without Christ first calling them, without God prompting them. Now, we don't always get those. We don't always see it or, or understand or, or are aware of it. But God is individually calling people to himself. 
And, and people need to know that. You need to know that. Your family needs to know that. Your friends need to know that God is calling them into a relationship. I don't care who they are. I don't care who you meet tomorrow, who you bump into on the street, who you get mad at at Walmart because they're taking too long in the line. I don't care who. God is calling them into invitation, offering an invitation to come into community with him. Now, what motivates this idea? What motivates this, this invitation to come, this command to come? It's motivated by what? His great love. Love motivates that. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that I, eternal life is living in relationship with God. That's, that's another way to look at eternal life. It's not so much heaven. That, that's the place that eternal life is going to happen. But eternal life is living in relationship with God. And it starts the moment you accept the invitation. The moment that that invitation is given and you say, yes, I want to be a part of that. Have you ever had a party where you were obligated to invite someone because you were inviting someone else? Have you ever had a party like that? That you wanted to invite this couple or this family, but because you didn't really want this family there. I don't know why, but you didn't want them there. Maybe their kids were unruly. Okay? And you, but you wanted this couple here. But if you're going to invite this couple, you are going to have to extend the invitation to here, to, the, to them as well. Puts you in a tough spot, doesn't it? But you know, God gives that invitation to every single one of us. It's not that he wants one more than the other. It's an open command. It's an open invitation to come. And even more, the obligation is on the person who the invitation is given to because it is more than just an invitation. It's a command. Come. Come to me. Uh, and, and so Jesus' invitation is not out of obligation but out of love. And the obligation is on the one who receives it to come, to respond. And so it's an invitation into relationship with the creator of the universe. And that's out there for everyone. Every single person needs to know that they're invited into a relationship with the creator of the world. That's what we are to teach them, that he has commanded us uh, to go. The second part of that is that, or the second way that we can understand this command to come is that it's an invitation to rest. How many of you would like that? Just a nap every once in a while would be good. And, and in a sense, I'm talking about a nap, okay? I'm talking about stepping back. From the world. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, some words in there we got to understand if we're going to understand this command to come to him if you are weary. How many of you have ever felt weary? Ever, once, maybe not right now, but ever in your life. Okay, then this. This is a command to you. Weary means just what we think it does. It means to grow weary, to grow tired, to become exhausted, usually through some sort of work or a burden that's been placed upon us or grief-stricken with circumstances that come our way, and, and we are weary. Um, it's to, to work with, with a wearisome effort, to toil, 
a bodily labor. Okay, this, 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 those words sound bad. I mean, I just need a break just from reading those words. I mean, toil and, and, and burdensome and exhausted and tired. And Jesus says, if, you've, if you ever feel that way, come to me. Because probably what he's saying is you are carrying burdens, and that's the next word we want to look at. That word burden means that you are loaded down. I mean, you can picture the, you know, the, the ox that just got stuff piled all on top of them and, and it has to carry that load. Uh, when we went to Africa, I'm amazed at how much they can pile onto a moped. And I mean, you can't even hardly see the person driving it because there's just, I mean, they've got it stacked and tied high and wide. And it is, you know, I don't even know how they keep them straight, uh, how, how, they, how they keep it, you know, straight up and without wrecking. And sometimes they don't. But that, that moped is under a great burden. Uh, you know, if, you, if you've ever had to carry something that, that's really more than you can carry and you're doing it by yourself, that's a burden. That's hard work. And Jesus is saying, you know, come to me if, you, if you're weary, if you're just exhausted, if you've got this huge burden that you don't know how to carry that you're dragging along with you, and I will give you rest. Okay, this, this, that word rest means to cause or permit one to cease from any work. How great is that? This command to come if you're weary because Jesus is going to give us rest. He's going to take that burden off, whatever that grief is, whatever that work is, whatever that worry is. He's just going to lift it. And what's he going to do with it? What does he do with it when he takes it off of us? He carries it. He carries it. We don't have to carry it anymore. He's going to carry it. And then what does he put on us? He put his yoke on. He'll just swap us. I'll pick your worry and your, your work and your labor and your burden and I'll, I'll carry it. Here, you carry mine. Well, and he says, my yoke, and, and we understand that yoke to be the, the wooden yoke that, that binds two oxen or, or some other animal to, to work together. One, it makes them easier to control and guide. That if you have one that's really strong and another one that's not quite as strong, it's easy to make them move at the same time. Or even if you have one that knows what he's doing and the other one needs to learn what he's doing, you put them in a yoke and the, the younger one will learn from the older one. And Jesus says, put my yoke on you. Okay, so if we put a yoke and we're in one side and it's Jesus' yoke, who's in the other side? Jesus. Now, doesn't life get a whole lot easier? He already knows what he's doing. He already knows where he's going. He already knows exactly how to do it. All we got to kind of do is just walk right along with him. Now, that's pretty much simplified to what life really is, but that's the picture I want you to get of this command to come. When he's saying come and invites us into a relationship, he's also inviting us into that yoke. That yoke where he says, I'm going to carry the load. You don't have to worry about life anymore. You don't have to work to try to make things work out. You don't have to plan it all out. You don't have to, to, to fret over it. You don't have to lose sleep over it. Just walk with me. I know where we're going. I know what's happening. Now, that's not easy. I get that. Um, Jews would know what it meant to have a yoke um, because for them, it usually meant working for someone else. If you were in a yoke, someone else was calling the shots. 
You were told where to go, told what to do, told how to do it, told how long to do it. And it was a burden to be put in a yoke. But Jesus says, my yoke's not burdensome. It's not hard. Uh, it's, it's easy. Jesus is promising relief. Uh, a lot of what the Jews, when, when Jesus would use this term yoke, there were two different things that would immediately come to mind of most Jews that he was speaking to. One was the yoke that the Pharisees put upon them. All of the religious rules, they had 600 and, 600 and something, 14, 15, 16. They took the Ten Commandments, and because they thought that was just not enough, they expanded on them so that we would understand those ten and wrote 610 of their own to go along with the ten that God said, this is what you need. Now, if you're looking at both of those as a yoke, which is easier, the ten or the 610? Well, the ten is easier. And so they understood the yoke that the Pharisees put on them as a religious yoke, as, as all these rules and regulations that they had to follow, and it became a burden. They, they were afraid to do anything, much less enjoy life. Because if they were working, was it the right way to work or the wrong way to work? If they were disciplining kids, was it the right way to discipline kids? There's probably a rule for this somewhere. We better check it out before we... And you weren't allowed to do anything. You weren't allowed to move. And Jesus says, no, I've gotten rid of all that. In fact, he took the 614, did away with those, took the 10 and put them down to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the only two you got to do. Love God, love people. Bill took it down to those love God, love people, four words. All of life comes down to four words, love God, love people. And Jesus said, that's not that difficult if you'll walk right along with me if you will do it my way. And so this is an invitation to rest. He is promising a life lived the way God planned it to be lived all along in relationship with him, by his methods, in his way, under his power. But we sometimes get out from under that and we want to do it our way or we think we know the best way to do it or we just take that worry on. God says, no, Give it back to me. We're working a plan. We're plowing here in this row. I know where we're going. I know what we need to do. And so it's a dependence upon God. It's a giving of him uh, everything. This command to relationship and a command to rest. Genesis chapter 3. We we have to understand that the toil and the work and the burden that we so often feel was in the original curse. When Adam and Eve sinned, Adam was cursed with toil and work. Genesis chapter 3 says to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, though through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, from dust you are and to dust you will return. You see, it's when we, when we went out and tried to do things our own way and second-guessed what God meant or what God, you know, God didn't really know best, eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would be a good thing we determined on our own. And when we, we followed the tempter's idea and we took and we ate, God's whole plan got messed up. And now life was going to be burdensome. There was going to be toil and work where before it was just pick and eat. And they could go through the garden and eat anything, and, and, and the, the trees just continued to produce good fruit. Uh, it wasn't even a season. They didn't have to pick and store. 
Just pick and eat. And then when the curse came, when sin entered into that plan, when we decided to do things our own way, everything got fouled up, and now you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to work the ground. You're going to have to weed the ground. You're going to have to plant. You're going to have to harvest. You're going to have to pick. You're going to have to store. Because once a year, you're going to get something off that, that plant. Once a year. You know, it's going to take a long time Eventually, when we got to be meat eaters, it's going to take a long time to grow that cow big enough to eat. And you're going to have to work it. And there's manure that's got to be flung. I've done it. Not fun. Dad says Saturday we're cleaning out the barn. I tried my darndest to find something else to do that day that I couldn't be home. That's all part of the curse. And Jesus is saying, you know what? If you want to continue to live your life with the burden and the toil and the hardship and the worry and the pain and the suffering that goes along with it, you can do that, but I'm inviting you. I'm commanding you. I'm pleading with you. Come. I'll give you rest in the midst of all the work. You're still going to have to work, but there's peace in it. There's rest in it. And this is all part of the peace that passes understanding that Paul told the Philippians about. That if you come to me, even in the midst of all the circumstances... I'm going to give you peace because we're going to go through it together. You're going to yoke yourself with me and we're going to walk. We're going to go. Doug Webster, no one significant as far as I know, but he said something that I really liked. He says, his easy yoke is neither cheap nor convenient. The surprising promise of the easy yoke was meant to free us from a self-serving, meritorious, performance-based religion. It is easy in that it frees us from the burden of self-centeredness, liberates us from the load of self-righteousness, and frees us to live in the way that God intended us to live. We don't have to work for salvation anymore. You know, and sometimes that, that's a big burden. Am I good enough? Boy, I hope so. You know, ask the man on the street, are you going to go to heaven? Do you believe you got to start way back now? You used to just be able to ask, are you going to go to heaven when you die? Now you got to go back and say, do you believe that there's a heaven and a hell? And if they say yes, then you say, do you think you're going to go to heaven? And they'll, the predominant answer you get is, I hope so. What a burden to live under. To truly believe that hell exists and to truly believe that heaven exists and to not be sure where you're going to go and hope that it works. To hope that it turns out all right. That's a burden. That's a, bur- that, that's, a, that's a trying to work, trying to do enough. I hope I was kind to enough people. I, I know I, I wasn't kind back there, but I'll, I'll be twice as kind tomorrow and try to make up. Who keeps that kind of record sheet? I can't keep that scorebook. And Jesus says, you know what? You don't have to. Come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you a peace that passes all understandings. Yoke yourself up with me. We're going to do life together. into relationship with God. And the third thing is that command to come is an invitation to purpose. It's an invitation to purpose. Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1, Jesus is walking along the sea and he sees the fishermen, Peter and, and uh, or Simon and Andrew, Simon who later became Peter, and then a little later he sees James and John. They're, they're all four fishermen. They were probably in... in uh, partnership together. They'd worked for their fathers. Now they were kind of taken over the business and uh, the fishing business. And Jesus looks at them and says, come, exact same thing, a sense of urgency. Come, 
follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now this wasn't the first time Jesus, they had laid eyes on Jesus. This was probably a year into his public ministry. They knew who he was. And so they weren't shocked by him. They weren't, uh, you know, they didn't have to, they, they knew what Jesus was about. He had been preaching in the cities. He had been going around. They knew who he was. They had heard the stories. They had probably sat and listened to this guy, to Jesus speak before. And so when he comes up to them and says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, did they think about it? Give us a day or two. Drop the nets. And they went and followed him. Uh, you know, th- this was a major thing. They, this was a major life change for them. They were dropping what they were doing. They were closing the business. It may just have been the four of them. Who knows? They dropped the nets and they went and followed Jesus. Jesus promises us a life of purpose. He says, you can go doing, you can keep fishing, you can keep selling what you're selling, you can keep manufacturing what you're manufacturing, you can keep teaching what you're teaching, working, whatever, whatever you're doing for a living, you can keep doing it. Or you can come follow me, and I'll help you do it with a purpose. I'll help you add some meaning to what it is you do more than just the paycheck every two weeks or however often you get paid. How great would it be to get up every morning and know that you and Jesus yoked together are going to work? And you've got a little slightly different agenda maybe than your boss does. You're going to do his agenda, but you're also working for the kingdom. There's a greater purpose in that. To know that you've been called by God and partnered with God into what he is doing in your place of employment. Because that's really all it is, is it's an employment. It's a place you go and you work. And, and for most of us, we need something more than that. And Jesus is giving us that. He's giving us purpose in that. A higher purpose than, than what any of the rest of us may feel is, is in what we're doing. An invitation to join him, to partner with him in his mission. Can you see your work as a mission? Can you see your, your, your work? Maybe you're retired. Can you see your neighborhood as a mission? To where you're going in with, with God's power and God's energy and God's purposes for the people that you're going to come in contact with? That it's beyond, again, selling, making, teaching, whatever it is, your boss requires you to do. Jesus has a higher purpose for you to do uh, in the midst of that. So it's an invitation to learn from Jesus. See, because when he said, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He said, I'm going to teach you how to do that. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. He was about now to start commanding them, teaching them so that they could pass that on. Jesus was offering a new way of life a new way of learning, of mentoring, of discipleship offered to anyone. An invitation, a command, and a sense of urgency to come, yoke, tie yourself up to him, find rest in that, and now let's, let's get about God's business. Day in and day out. Uh, and so he, he has said, come. Come into relationship. Come into a place of rest. Come into a place of purpose. And now we have some responses to that. We can respond to that in several ways, but we're commanded to respond a certain way. These commands go along with the command to come. Jesus said the first in our response is the command to repent. 
Matthew chapter 4, right here when he's, this is one of his teachings right before he calls the, the fishermen. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to re- preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This invitation to come carries with it a command to repent. It's not surprising that this is the first command of Christ. It's, it's necessary to bring us back into a right relationship with him. That if we're going to come, if we're going to come in, in, in that invitation and we're going to come into relationship, then the first thing we have to do is repent. And what does repent mean? Repent is simply to change one's mind. Okay? God's desire is to live in relationship with us. And repentance, a change of mind on our part, is the very first step to coming into that relationship. Sin has separated us. I don't know if there's a lesson I'm supposed to be learning, but when I did Sunday school this morning, we were talking about sin. When I'm teaching this lesson tonight, we're talking about sin. When I leave here and go into my small group, we're talking about sin. I'm a little slow. Yeah, repent. <laughs> and that is, and that I think is, it's, it's, a, it's probably a topic that doesn't get talked about much. Sin. Uh, we've sugar-coated it. Now I'm kind of getting into where the small group is going tonight. But uh, we, we've downplayed the seriousness of sin. We don't even call it sin anymore. We call it a mistake, a wrong choice, a bad choice. No, it's sin. And it's detestable to God. And, and it's serious. And, and what sin has caused is sin has caused a separation between man and God all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That when they sinned, when they chose poorly, when they sinned and chose their own way over God's way, there was an incredible separation that took place. They felt shame. They felt guilt. That, that the, the image of God in which they were created in was now tarnished. That, that they now had a sin nature, that their, their righteousness that they were created in w- was now ripped and torn and beat up and, and stained with this sin. One sin, that's all it took. That if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of, of all, of everything. That there's no, well, it was just a little one, so it's just, a, no. One, out. That's all, God, that's all it took. And that's why it's so important to understand that it must be repent because in order to enter into that relationship, if we don't repent, we're still carrying that sin and we can't enter into a relationship with God without repentance because it is repentance that wipes the slate clean. It's a change of mind in us, okay? That, That each one of us is individually responsible for sin, for our, for our sinfulness. And we need to come to God in that invitation to join relationship. Our first step is repentance. As I said, repentance is to change one's mind. Ultimately, sin is selfishness. It says, I'm in charge. I know better than God. I know God said this isn't the way to do this, but I know better and I'm going to do it this way. I know that God said I shouldn't cheat here or I shouldn't lie there or I shouldn't, but I know better. In this situation, it makes the most sense. And that's basically what sin is. It's a me doing it my way, forgetting about what God's way is. And so it's setting myself up 
Repentance is a change of mind regarding our life. Repentance is a change of mind on our thoughts and our actions. It's, it's a change of who is in charge. That if I'm going to come to God, if I'm going to put in the yoke, if I'm going to accept that invitation, that command to come, then I have to repent because I have to put Christ back in charge. I have to repent. I have to change my mind about who's in charge, about the sin in my life, about the direction I'm going, about the actions that I have. Now, this is not confession, okay? Repentance is different than confession. Confession means to agree with, okay? So when I confess my sin, I'm just simply agreeing with God that it's sin, okay? I, I lied to my wife, okay? And, and I, I, I'm confessing I lied to my wife. All I'm doing is agreeing that lying is bad and that I did it. It doesn't have anything to do with me not doing it anymore. Repentance is, I lied to my wife, I'm changing my mind, I will not do that again. That's repentance. And the two go together. We have to agree that it is sin, and then we have to repent and change our mind and our attitudes towards it. That's a part of this command to repent. Changing of mind on the behavior, a changing a direction of thought. It's not feeling bad for my sin. Not just feeling bad for my sin. There needs to be a sorrow, a sorrow that drives us to repentance. But if all I do is feel bad for it and say I'm sorry, that's nothing. If there's no change of mind, if there's, if there's no transformation of thought... That's the whole transformed by faith that we talked about over the last few weeks with, our, with the church's mission statement on Sunday morning. This is that transformation. This is that repentance is the change of thought. Change my mind. And repentance really is two steps. I acknowledge the sin, okay? I acknowledge the sin, and then my next step is moving towards righteousness. I can't move in that direction of the sin anymore. Because if I, if, if I say, yeah, I lied, yeah, I lied, yeah, I lied again, yep, lied again, yep, lied again, I'm sorry, but have I repented? No, because I haven't really changed my mind. It's become too easy. Now, that's not to say that I will repent, change my mind, and not at some point lie again because the temptation is still there, the flesh is still there, the sin nature is still there. But what do I do if that happens? Repent. John 1, 9, that if, if we're sinned, if we repent, confess, repent, he will forgive us. He'll cleanse us and we, and we can get back in that yoke again and, and move in the right direction. But repentance has to take place. We have to, even at that initial step into the relationship, Repentance has to take place. We repent and we believe. Without repentance, we would have no way of returning to God. We would have no way of returning to God without repentance. It is a necessary part of a Christian's life. It's necessary at the initial beginning of the relationship, and it's necessary as we continue to walk within that yoke, as we continue to, to partner with Christ and join him 
in his work. It probably is the most left out step in the presentation of the gospel in, in explaining to someone how to come to Christ. Jim. Yeah. It's not just enough to talk about, you know, when you came to Christ, but when did the change take place? When did that transformation really grab a hold? Because that's probably about the same time the repentance occurred. And, and because we can acknowledge Christ, we can acknowledge the fact of salvation, the head part, without really letting it change our mind, change our behavior, and change our attitudes. And that's the repentance. That's the transformation. That's the change that has to be has to take place. None of the other commands that we will look at throughout the next eight weeks matter one iota if we skip this one. If we're not willing to repent, then then don't worry about trying to do all the other commands because those commands then will become burdensome. If we try to live out the commands without repentance, without without coming into that relationship, then it's just going to be a burden. We have to get this one right. We have to get this one right at the beginning. Our first action of faith is repentance. Blackaby calls it a reorienting our life. That repentance reorients our life. Okay, that we're heading in one direction and and we realize that this is the wrong direction. Somehow we've gotten away from from where Christ is leading us. And, And what repentance does is make us change our minds and reorient our life back to in line with where God is at where God is taking us, where God is moving in us. Ready? I think if we don't repent at the beginning, we don't have salvation. Are you saying for a believer, if there's no repentance, do we lose our salvation? (laughs) Here's what I think. (laughs) I think. Uh, I think if we make it a, a pattern that let's say Christ is going up this aisle, this is where he's leading us, and we sin, and we don't do a whole lot with it, and we sin, and we don't do a whole lot with it, and we sin, and Christ's still going, and we, it can become a pattern to where I think eventually, yes, I think we can lose our salvation. Is there at any point between then and, and there can we come back? Yes, because when we repent, we're right back. He, he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So I think, yes, I think a person can. Now, what happens is that's a semantics game because I'll say they lose salvation. Some will say they were never saved. Okay, they're in the same spot. I don't worry about how they got there or what words we use to describe how they got there. I'm worried that they're there and let's get them back. So can they lose salvation? Yeah, were they ever saved? Maybe not. No, no. I'm saying this is a lifestyle of separating ourselves from God, not a one-time miss. Right. Otherwise, that's a burden <laughs> to carry. Oh, did I do it? Did I not? Did I did it? Did... No, I'm talking if it's a lifestyle of walking away, continually sinning, on and on and, and widening that separation. Um, I think a person can walk away from it. Okay. Repent requires a decision. 
Uh, you're confronted with a point in the journey and you've got to pick a direction. You either continue on in your sin or you change your minds and you continue on with God. That's what repentance does. That, that's that change of mind. Um, I'm just trying to paint for you some pictures of, of get an understanding of this word repentance, um, this reorienting of life. Um, so is repentance a normal part of your Christian life? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. In this command, is repentance a normal part of your life? Because it should be. It needs to be, that reorienting. It is a repeated part. Yes, it's ongoing. We can continue to confess. We continue to repent. We continue to grow uh, in that. That's the growing in wisdom. The idea is we don't become sinless, but we sin less. Okay? We, we don't ever become sinless in this life, but we should find that we are sinning less uh, as we grow. Okay? A command to repent the second one here is the command to come as a child. This is one that, you know, we, we like to put pictures of of Jesus with the children on his lap and loving them and telling them stories. And, you know, we use that to, to foster the need for, for children's ministry in every church and, you know, let the little children come to me. But Jesus says, Matthew 18, he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, I want to take that serious because it's a command. Unless you become like children, you will not. That's pretty emphatic. There's no gray area in that. Jesus doesn't have too much gray in any of his commands. It's this way. It's a line in the sand. I tell you the truth. Unless you change, transformed, repent, and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, why a child? What is it about a child that Jesus wants believers to become like? Okay, I've listed some. This is in no way exhaustive. Uh, you could probably double the list if you wanted if we tried real hard, but I think these are some key ones that, that we need to get a picture of. And Jesus commanding us to come, coming in repentance into the relationship, we're to come like children. Characteristic number one, they are eager learners. They are eager learners. I didn't say they were good learners. I didn't say they were great learners. They are eager learners. And that's what God is looking for. He wants someone that, that, that is going to change, come to the realization that I was in charge and I've made a pretty good mess of my life. I need to repent, change my mind, take the, the, this, this yoke, put myself in Jesus, and then I need to learn how to live like Jesus, the guy on the other side of the yoke. I need to be watching him. I need to, his every move, his every action, his every word. I need to try somehow to, to ha have him share those thoughts so that I begin to think like him, so that I begin to act like him, walk like him, move like him. Because it's going to make that, that work less worrisome, less burdensome if I'm doing it right in step with him. Children are eager learners. They love to help. They're not great help, but they love to help. You know, I can remember with my dad wanting to help. I think I maybe have told the story. You're probably thinking I only have one story to tell of my dad building a bird. He always was building birdhouses. 
to this day, 82 years old, he's still out in the garage. What's dad doing? He's building a birdhouse. There are more houses for birds in Huntington County than there are probably houses for people because my dad just builds birdhouses after birdhouses after birdhouses. I was probably five or six, maybe seven. I don't remember exactly, but he building birdhouses. I said, I want to help. I want to learn how to build a birdhouse. And so dad took me down and he cut everything and we assembled and then he let me paint. You ever handed a paintbrush and a bucket of paint to a six-year-old? You kind of hand it and then stand back. I had paint everywhere. I had it on the birdhouse, but I had it on me. I had it on the table. I had it on the floor. I had it all the way up the handle of the brush through all of the bristles. I had paint everywhere. I go to build a birdhouse today. I know how to measure it, cut it, assemble it, start with design it. I know how to paint it. I don't have paint all up the brush. I was an eager learner. I wanted to learn how to do it. My dad taught me how to do it to where now as an adult, I can do it and I can teach my son how to do it. Children are eager learners. God wants us to be eager learners. That's a a trait we need to have in coming to Christ. In our relationship, in, in being in that yoke with him, we need to be eager learners. Not just along for the ride. As Denny said today, not just sit but we need to serve. We also need to not just sit and soak, but we need to be learning. We need to be eager to be in his word. Everything is new to them. I mean, try to remember what it was like to be a four, five, six-year-old. Everything was brand new. Couldn't wait to go at it. Couldn't wait to learn the next thing. They want to experience it all. We need to begin seeing the things of God as if we're seeing them for the first time. Come like a child. Come with that exuberance, with that energy. And you're saying, I don't have that energy. Bring what you got. Let God energize you. Let let his call to purpose, let his call to rest energize you daily. Read scripture as if it were new. One of the best things that ever came out for me was the message that translation of the Bible, don't base theology on it, but read it as a devotional. Just read it. The, the Eugene Peterson's The Message. It's a great way to look at Scripture differently, almost through the eyes of a child, because you're looking at it brand new in many cases, in the words that he uses and the, the pictures that he paints with that. But we need to begin to read Scripture as if it were new to us. Eager learners can't get enough. Another thing about children is they have an innocent faith. They haven't learned to be cynical yet. We teach them that over time because we've learned to be cynical. So we teach our children how to be cynical. I catch it in my, you know, I I am a very sarcastic person. Very sarcastic. I think it's a gift myself. If you ever read the book of Job, God is sarcastic. Um, because he asked Job, were you there when I created the heavens? Were you there when I created the earth? What were you doing when all that was going on? You know, to me, that's sarcasm. (laughs) That's sarcastic at its finest. But I've seen that I've passed that down to my children, and my middle daughter is very good at it. 
And I see that it's not always used correctly because she's learned I don't always use it correctly. And so at 14, she's already starting to become a little cynical about things and a little skeptical about things. And the world just has a way of doing that. We were watching a sh the, the show, The Voice. Anybody seen that? It's the latest like American Idol thing. I hate those shows, but I got sucked right into the two-hour special last night because they were doing the blind auditions. So when the, the judges had to turn around, they couldn't see the person singing, so they were rating them totally on their ability to sing, totally upon their voice. And I went, that's the way to do it. That is the way, because, you know, there's no look thing. There's no, you know, spiked hair. You know, we want to freak on the show, so let's bring them on even though they can't sing. It'll bring up ratings. No, this was totally on the ability of them to sing. And then I got cynical about halfway through because as the judges were voting on them and, and selecting them, it's like sometimes they, they, they still went with people who weren't all that great. The girl who was beautiful but couldn't sing a lick got chosen by like three of the four. I'm like, how is that possible? And I'm like, okay, this is fixed. I became cynical in it. It's a reality show. It's fixed. They're, they're, you know, they know who's going to be on before they ever perform. We pass that on. And God's saying, you know what? I just want you to be innocent. I want you to just accept my word as true and not work real hard at trying to figure it all out and have an answer and have a reason and have a simple faith. For a child, dad said it, that settles it. It's only as they get older that they start to question what dad said. And so Jesus is saying, come to me. This command to come, the invitation to come is to come as a child with an innocent faith that you're just thrilled to be with dad. You're eager to learn. And the third thing is you, you give others the benefit of the doubt. There, we're on number three. So you have, you have eager learners. Number two, innocent faith. Number three is give others the benefit of the doubt. Kids aren't real judgmental. Okay? Again, we teach them how to be. We teach them to be judgmental. And Jesus is saying, come to me as a little child and, and give others the benefit of the doubt. Things don't have to add up or make sense to a child. They are very trusting. It's the picture of the, the child wanting to jump off the diving board into the pool. And they, they watch mom get up and uh, mom or dad and they go out and they jump and then they jump in and splash and they come up and they're laughing. And the little kid goes out and gets right on the edge and's like, not real sure. You've seen it? You know, maybe you've done it with your kids where they're not real sure if they want to jump, but there you, you know, you, you the parent are standing there can come on, come on, come on. And they jump. Why? Because they trust you. Because they, they, they take the benefit of the, they give you the benefit of the doubt. They doubt whether they can really do that. But you just did it. You're calling them. It must be okay. And so they jump. And then the next time they jump and they jump and they jump. And pretty soon you're going, I need a break. You, adults swim only and kick the kids out of the pool. We need to give others that benefit of the doubt. We need to trust God. That he is working. That's part of coming like a child. The last thing is 
For a child, love comes easy. It is easy for a kid to love. Children love everything and everyone because they don't know not to. We teach them that. And so they just, they just love. Go give grandma a hug. Okie dokie. You know, and they run and they give grandma a hug. They may even grab the wrong grandma. They don't care. They're giving hugs. You know, they just, they find it very easy to love. And Jesus is saying, come to me like a child and love easily. Find it in your heart. Allow me. Learn that from me. It's not hard. It's easier if you love. Love God, the things of God. It's easy for a child to love God. It's easy for a child to love the things of God. Children are jazzed and excited to go to Sunday school. I can't get adults excited. I haven't figured out how to get adults excited to go to Sunday school. Maybe we need color pages. Have you used, Bev, have you used color pages in the women's class? Because they get, the kids just want to go. They want to go. Maybe we need to paint the rooms with cartoons. <laughs> Senility sits in. But, but we, we do. We kind of lose that energy somewhere along the lines. And Jesus says, don't lose it. Keep that going. Keep that motivation. Keep moving as a child. God is a very complex God, the deep things of God. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. But his command is to love him, trust him, simply come to him. As a child takes the parent's hand and begins walking and then asks, where are we going? You know, we kind of want all the answers up front with God. We want to know where my life's going, what's going to happen, what can I expect, what's going to, I'm not moving until I know. Child just says, okay, can we do that with God? Can we trust him? Can we just say, okay, and walk and go? Because it says it's not burdensome. Okay, this invitation to come is really a simple, a simple command. And then the, the next thing is it's a command to love God with your whole being. With your whole being. This is the last one. The command to love God with your whole being. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. What does it mean? Okay. Next to, re next to repent, this is another foundational command. That we have to repent, but we also have to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Blackaby says, if you don't know how to love God first, any other command will be burdensome and seem oppressive. If, if you don't figure out, if, if you don't have a love for God and for all of the things that he's given, if you don't come to him with that childlike faith, that innocent faith, that love, that, 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 and accept his peace, then all of the other commands are going to seem burdensome because we, we've lost the love that the commands come in. The, the whole idea that God gives us those commands because he loves us. Because he wants to make our paths straight. He wants to make it not burdensome, not toilsome, not worrisome. And it's when we forget that there's love based behind it all that it becomes worrisome and troublesome and toilsome. Because we forgot to love. So we need to love God with our whole being. What does it mean to love somebody? 
means they're a priority in our life. It means we, we strive to please them. We, we, we live our life to please them. We live our life to spend time with them. I was just talking about, about this with Pastor Bill, the, the youth pastor, that the, the verse in Psalms that says, delight yourself in the Lord. And he and Donna have, have kind of stuck on that, not gotten stuck, but they've kind of just stayed and rested on that. And said, what does it really mean for us to delight in the Lord? He said, I know what it means to delight in food. I, I can relate. We, we know what it means to delight in food. I, Bill and I were, were talking about other things we delight. We know what it is to delight in golf. We know what it is to delight in our wives. What does it mean to delight in the Lord? What does it mean to love the Lord, to delight in him, to find that, that, that where we just want to spend time with him, that joy that comes from him. Requires, commun- requires communication. Uh, his word, our prayers, uh, that all goes, all goes together. And that's what it means to love him. But what makes this so difficult? Our fallenness is still there. Our sin nature. What did you say, Ray? Circumstances make that. We, we, we're in the yoke, but we get our eyes off of the trouble over here, what's happening over here, and we allow the circumstances to uh, direct us rather than God's love to direct us. And, and that sin nature that's still there, because loving God goes against our sin nature. Other people vie for our time. Notice what the command is not. This is not a command to fear God. It is not a command to worship God. It is not a command to serve God. It is not a command to pray God to God. It all centers out of love. It's a command to love God. And then out of love, all those other things happen. And this love is that agape love, to love dearly, to be content with. That God is the only thing I need. God is all I need. All encompassing. I need nothing else. I'm not saying that that's, that's easy. That's where we need to get. We need to love God with that type of love. And then life becomes easy. Easier. Thank you. This very much speaks to the, the character of God. Because if he were an angry God, he would demand obedience. Okay? If he were a war God, he would demand servitude. I'm a war, you're going to serve me. If he was a greedy God, he would demand sacrifice. Give, 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 give. If he was an insecure God, he would want massive amounts of praise and worship all the time. That's all you have to do. Praise, worship, praise, worship, praise, worship. But God wants us to give back to him the love that is at the very center of who he is. Because he's a loving God, he commands us to love. And then out of that love relationship comes obedience and service and sacrifice, and worship. But it has to start with love. So we're commanded to love God with our whole being. And that's why it is our whole person. It's to love him with your heart, soul, and mind. That heart, the, the Greek word is cardia, which we get cardia, the, the word for heart. Uh, it's the organ that is the center of all physical life. Okay? We need to love God physically. It's not enough to have feelings for God. It's not enough to to have emotions for God. We need to love God physically. That means physically active, physical actions of love, prayer, Bible study, serving other people, obedience, worship, all of those things 
are important to that. That's the heart part of this loving God with all our heart. Loving him with our soul, that's our psyche. That's, that's this, the Greek word is the word we get psyche from. It's the breath of life. It's the center of all spiritual life. It's the very thing that God breathed into us and we became a living soul back in the creation story. And when God created Adam out of the dust, he breathed into his nostrils and Adam became a living soul. That's the psyche that he breathed in. And we're to love God with our every breath, with our, 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 the center of our, our, our spiritual being, that, that essence that he's put into us. From the depths of our soul, we're to love God. And then we're to love him with our mind, the center of our intellect. How you think. You realize we have the mind of Christ. We're yoked with Christ, and he has given us the mind of Christ, and he's calling us to think like Christ, to use that mind, to feed that mind, to get into the word and develop that mind so that we can be obedient and serve and sacrifice and worship. One word, come. But it means repentance. It means come as a child. It means to love with our entire being to be in that relationship and it is an awesome thing, an awesome, awesome thing that the creator of the universe would even say to any one of us. Um, let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this command, this invitation. Father, the, the sense of urgency, may we take another step in our own journey into that relationship, into the depths of that relationship. Father, I pray for each one here tonight that, that we would better understand who you are and what you've provided for us, that, that your, burden, your yoke is not burdensome. Father, we can align ourselves with you and we can have a straight path. Yes, there will be suffering, but you suffered greatly, that you will carry us through that, that in the midst of all of the the, the not pleasant circumstances, there is a peace that passes all understanding that only comes through a relationship with you. That there is rest, that there is purpose. Father, help us to repent. Help us to make that a, a part of who we are. That we identify the sin in our life and we change our mind to it and we confess and we repent and we believe. Father, daily, we would get farther and farther away from a sin nature. That we would find it easier and easier to serve you even in the midst of maybe horrible circumstances. Father, I'm reminded of your promise that the world hates you. It hated you. If the world hates us, it hated you first. And that if it persecutes us, it, it persecuted you first and you overcame and you are giving us the ability to overcome. Father, may we all be diligent in responding to your command to come and delight in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we're going to follow. That's our command next week. And it usually comes right after come. Come. Follow me. We'll figure out what follow means. Have a great week.